You're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our guest is Doran Barnes, Senior Managing Director and Global Head of Equity Trading and Distribution at Oppenheimer. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking. This episode was recorded on December 6, 2022. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our episode called Trading U.S. Equities and the Search for Stability. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're here with Daron Barnes of Oppenheimer. Now, we market participants are always in search of catalysts, signs of stability, inflection points, different things to guide our investment choices. This year has been a tough one for that. We've had inflation, we've had an aggressive Fed, we've had huge geopolitical risks, and here we are with the S&P down around 15%, the worst since 2008. So, as we head into 2023, we thought we'd invite Duran Barnes, our favorite source of market trends and flow dynamics, to talk about where we're at. We're going to take a look at where we currently are in the market, where we've come from. We're going to talk about some recent trends that haven't been that well disseminated and what all of that means as we head into 2023. Our listeners should be very familiar with Duran Barnes. He's the Senior Managing Director and the Global Head of Trading and Equities Distribution at Oppenheimer. In layman's terms, that means that Duran sits at the epicenter of all of the major market participants, institutions, hedge funds, mutual funds, retail accounts, and all the sales and trading infrastructure to support all of that. So a valuable vantage point indeed. With all of that, I am very happy to welcome back Daron Barnes. Thanks for having me back, Jane. Love being with you. Same, same here. Now, You and I talked earlier this year, and you were pretty pessimistic. You expected a rough year, and you actually went out on a limb and said you thought that the market would be down around 15%, which number one was a very gutsy call, and number two ended up being prescient and pretty spot on. So can you talk about how we got here? Yeah, it's it's a great time for us to talk about it because, Jane, as you recall, you get a lot of good information in December leading into the the next year and December of 2021 off a great year in the marketplace record year deal calendar ECM all across the board on the equity products it was it was a great great year in performance as well starting the year the way we did did not act great and especially with the leaders that that we've talked about in the FANG arena coming out of the gate and tech was under pressure with the speculation that Fed would need to raise rates inflation started uh, raising its eerie head and after that you've got the geopolitical concerns that are out there obviously the Ukraine-Russia situation just heightened up. Then inflation just got exacerbated. And I use that word because that's interesting. Uh, Exacerbated is the type of participation we've had in the equity markets. Last year and the year before, meme, retail, they were driving a lot of the flows in the marketplace. This year, it's about CTAs once. Right. And 
you know, when you talk about exacerbation, it's also been pretty tough because, you know, I mentioned the S&P is down 15%, but there's a lot of damage that's way worse than that. I mean, the Apples and the Amazons and the Microsofts and the Google are down more than that. So just as you were saying, the old favorites weren't holding and in fact were hurting you more. Yeah. So the exacerbated moves by those quant funds really hurt tech, right? The more tech suffered and underperformed, the more interest rates were going to rise and the Fed were declaring that, the more pressure that was being put on those tech stocks. So mostly, if you look at most mom and pops at home would look at their portfolio and they all own those Amazons, Facebooks, Microsofts. And it just, it felt very, very troubling. The institutional community tried to keep battling back, but we never did see the mutual funds the way they normally do on dips. And I think the uncertainty with the Fed really caused a lot of problems in the equity markets this year. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of problems. So the traditional accounts weren't acting the way you expect them to. Another exacerbating factor is the fact that deal activity was the worst that we've seen in forever. I mean, I had some statistics, but we had 1,035 IPOs in 2021, 173 in 2022. The SPAC market, which was so promising in 2021, not happening now in 2022. So that's another amplifying factor, right? Because you're not trading those deals and motivating institutions to buy. Right. And and those stats are very, very good points uh, by you because in the model that these mutual funds, hedge funds, and pension funds uh, anticipate, want capital markets activity. In other words, liquidity really is important. And we went from an excessive liquidity game that was available. Anything could come to market and we could get that done. There were buyers lined up, all types of buyers lined up. This year, that just shut down. And so that part of the equities market and the mutual funds and the hedge funds that depend on that kind of participation and, of course, the alpha generation of their portfolio, it just wasn't there. And, okay, so... You know, you and I always like to talk about the different participants in the market, and you alluded to, I think you called them CTAs or quants. So can you talk about that a little bit more? So how do those accounts operate? Yeah. So it's it's a variety of, of different factors. Um, they use factor investing. They write code. It could be anything that reacts to headlines. It reacts to flow dynamics. And usually what happens is funds like those do very well when the participation gets less by your traditional participants and they are able to really push the market around or move the sectors around. And directionally, they tend to go one way. They tend to push directions as they are. So if the markets are down, for example, Jane, 3.30 on a Friday and all of a sudden it's down 3%, those quant funds tend to have code written and opportunistically, it tends to exacerbate and force more selling rather than your usual mutual funds that are there to buy and support any dips. Remember in 2021, Jane, everyone bought dips. Anytime it happened, that was that was the narrative. The institutional community did not do that. They had to be a lot more careful and they really just didn't like the uncertainty about the Fed and the number of rate hikes that we were going to get and the uncertainty surrounded the forward on that. And so those 
algorithmic players or the quant players, do we have any, it, it feels like they're larger than they've been. Is there data to support that, that they represent a bigger percentage of the market than they have historically? For sure. I mean, look, there's sleeves of money that is out there that always deploy to these types of accounts. And then some of the largest in the world will always have that money available to them. So they will deploy when the market actually fits their style and what is helping them do that. But you know, more concerning than anything else is for two years now, we haven't had our traditional players. And the reason we haven't had our traditional players is we've been forced into a dynamic market environment, whether it be from back to COVID to current times, we're constantly being stressed, if you will, Jane. And I think the system feels stressed. And most everyone in the system, meaning anyone who participates in the markets, whether it be you at home or the institutions, you know, they're, they're, they're feeling very tired, right? It's been a very long, deliberate year. Definitely. And while we're on the topic of stress and participants that are stressed, the hedge funds, right? I mean, they've had a very difficult year in terms of performance and outflows and all the rest. Yeah. And, and look, the bigger shine, right? The bigger hedge funds that have multiple portfolio managers and also multiple product sets where they can invest across asset class have done really well this year. But within those compounds, within those places, their performance can be really, really tough. It's been so hard for a portfolio manager. And the reason being the rules are changing. So if you're a portfolio manager and you're at one of the largest mutual funds in the world and you've had a system that's worked for you for years and years and years, you just entered a new regime. You might be right fundamentally on the stocks that you're looking at, but you could be wrong in timing. And that comes from where the flow dynamics, which is what we're stressing when we talk about this institutional flow. And what about the retail side of the ledger? You have a pretty good look into that. From where we sit at Oppenheimer, it's obviously a huge business for us. They bought on the dip last year. From what I've read, there hasn't been huge selling out of retail, but we have seen funds flowing into money market funds. What are you seeing with, with those accounts? So you bring up a really good point, and I think the retail investor in particular are looking at the fact, usually when equities underperformed, bonds were your safe haven. In 2022, that did not happen. And for the first time in a very long time that anyone can even think about, both did not perform well. And when you look at the retail movement now, bonds are back. It's the big expression. Bonds are back. You can go into 2023 and you can comprise and uh, put together a portfolio with more bonds than equities. So that too is part of what we're seeing here, especially at the end of 2022 going into 2023. Yeah, definitely. And in the second half of this year, when you and I had conversations about this, you started picking up on some, some signals that were starting to indicate some change in sentiment. And I'm not calling this an inflection point, but it was interesting to me to hear some of these things that I wasn't aware of, some of the reversals that you've seen and fund flows. Can you talk about some of that? Yeah. So Jane, that's a great point. And I think a very important real-time point. Three weeks ago, the quant CTA arena that we talked about, who've done so well all year long, were caught off sides. And what you see when that happens is a massive reversal. So while they were short technology and long value stocks, you saw that flip upside down and there were 10 to 12% moves in that same day. 
and everyone was saying, whoa, okay, we know, we know hedge fund long short books have not been great. We know mutual funds have not had a good year. And now the quant CTA models that are working, they just got hit. And so what you saw is headlines come out that we've now seen that funds have given up their performance from all year just based in the last two months. So now we're getting to the point where there aren't a lot of participants. You're dumbing it down to everyone, long short books and the the hedge fund books have got their grosses and nets down, ready to deploy capital. Mutual funds are still either selling a little bit for redemptions or have done that already. So they're not doing a ton. And oh, by the way, now your quant model CTA performance is not great. So everyone's like, wait, 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 let's step back. We need to now see what we're getting on a forward, which is why we've started out December very choppy. Yeah. And when you talk about that kind of reversal, there were some publicly disclosed reversals, which I thought were shocking. Didn't Bridgewater have a huge turn in their performance? Yeah. And and obviously they're a very, very large account that everyone always looks to see what's going on there. And that was definitely in the press. Yeah. And and you, you just hate to see that. Like you want people doing well and we want our clients doing well. And it's just, it just shows you how tough it is out there real time right now. So as we part some of those particulars, we talked about bonds being back. You know, right now bonds are creating some real competition for stocks. How are you thinking about that in terms of, are you seeing anything in dividendy stocks not doing as well because of competition with bonds? Like, what do you look at? I spend a, a tremendous amount of time and our team does on mutual fund participation. We have some great, great partners in that arena. And the reason being is mutual funds are always around. They always survive. They pivot. They come up with very good talent and they know how to do the work. And what I'm seeing right now is a lot of mutual funds sitting on cash, wait, waiting to deploy, but understanding there's a new competitor in the market. That that's Those are bonds. And so the net takeaway in 2023, Jane, is we really want to remain and go back to what we knew before, which is stability with our mutual funds our hedge funds, CTAs, quants, those types of firms are never going away. So those moves will happen. But what you want is our mutual fund active managers really are going to need to be deliberate with their choices. And they're going to need to be very careful. They're going to need to think about what is the potential downside when you participate large chunks of companies. And that's what is going to be key to to watch. Yeah. And, you know, we we called this the search for stability. And so We've had a big move from the Fed. We've created some real competition with bonds, but there's a sense that maybe the Fed's going to be a little lighter touch going forward here, and we'll see what they do in December. But that would be one of the signs of stability that you'd be looking for, right? To get a sense that rates have done pretty much the bulk of what they're going to do, and then we can make some decisions. You, you nailed it, Jane. I mean, that's great. And, and with your with your past, you understand the dynamics. But basically what you have here is bad news is good news right now. Bad news with economic data, with jobs, with wages, inflation is good news because the hope is the Fed slows it down with the, the rate hikes and maybe cuts, right? And people don't know that answer yet. People want that clarity. Again, when we are all sitting back looking at uh, the Fed making commentary about rates on a regular basis, an ongoing basis, it's frustrating because people are trying to make investment decisions, but then quickly have to adjust and adapt. Now, the good news is, Jane, 
if that happens, that the bad news is good news and we stabilize, we're able to assess valuations and equities and then portfolio managers will get back involved and markets will stabilize and then the capital markets windows will open up and liquidity will be more available. Yeah. And, and it always happens, you know, so, okay. So search for stability. We've talked about bonds as competition. Another big, huge one, which, you know, you're not going to be able to deconstruct. No one can, but is the, the geopolitical, the international scene. We've had the Ukrainian war. We've had China, which has been a big concern. You and I talk about China a lot in these conversations. So what do you think in, as you look at those big, huge topics? So it's funny. I think we as a country tend to have short term memory and we forget. And although Ukraine, Russia situation is just so tough to watch and follow, it's heart wrenching. It's amazing how people move on to the next story, if you will. And that's just because we're in a world where news travels so quick. I think the Chinese developments with regard to COVID is watched on a daily basis. And that's hard too. But what what the country there is telling you and what the government is starting to tell you is they're finally easing restrictions, even though there are people still getting the virus because there were riots in protesters that said they don't want to be locked up anymore. So political pressure there. So institutions are talking about that a lot, literally nightly, daily, what's going on in China. Also, Jane, if you point out a competitor of ours really highlighted Chinese ADR stocks, which was shocking to me because people really got hurt and had to exit because they had very little confidence and lost a lot of money in that arena. So look, China on a macro stage in particular as it regards to Taiwan, the U.S., and macro issues is is the most significant. So you're going to keep watching those headlines for sure. Now, another thing that you talked about, and again, we're just sort of lining up the different things we're searching for to find stability. You talked about the reversal in tech and some selling and value names. Is that something that do we need to see kind of stability in the whole tech space? Because that was such a big factor that brought us down. Yeah. So the tech space is obviously under a lot of pressure. We see the headlines about layoffs left and right in the tech sector. We haven't seen this in a very long time. I mean, so things are changing and things need to get right size there. And we are in that transformation process. So I don't think tech is a safe haven per se for a little bit, especially with the uncertainty with the Fed and rates. What you can do is you can identify fundamental companies with great management teams, and we have our analysts help you do that work, which is what Oppenheimer does well in the content and research front, and really select companies that really can stand and have the wherewithal. We're going to continue to have this turbulence chain. It's not going away, at least for the first six months of the year. So I hope that, so tech still got some work to do, but mostly I think people are looking, watching, because Tech's favorites. People love buying tech, love the tech companies. But the way we viewed Fang, we'll never view Fang again. That's just my thought. No, I know. and But these companies do have pretty strong balance sheets, which is a good consideration. And I'm going to make a little pitch for a recent episode that I did with Tim Horan talking about the cloud and, and re-looking at that investment thesis, which we do think is in place. But you brought up a point with tech about excesses in the market. We've seen a bunch of excesses now having been wrung out. Obviously, crypto is a huge one. So a lot of the air has been taken out of the more speculative 
parts of the market, that's helping lay the groundwork for stability, right? Yeah. So we've talked about in the past, Jane, where like, look at the biggest blowups in the market's history, the biggest challenges, let's say 2008 financial crisis, 2001, 2000, 2001 tech bubble, 1997 long-term capital. These are monster events. We're experiencing one of those events currently. And what, what that makes you do is say, we need to reset. And where I was able to make very easy money before, <laughs> I really got to slow it down. And I think that's what's happening right here. And the anxiety level by our market participants is high, but it's a controlled high, meaning I think it's just people want to turn the page, go to 2023 and get some more clarity. But I do like the fact that we're getting more and more data. In particular, we need to see what the Fed does. We need to see, okay, do we need to mark down valuations further before you jump in, right? And then if we go through the bad, bad case scenario, bad news is bad news. Well, I mean, let's, let's talk about bad, bad. So, you know, you use the R word reset. Let's bring up the R word recession. It's obviously a big worry for 2023. All, but even there, the market seems to already be discounting a lot of concern about a recession next year, right? So recession is a word we've used historically during crises. I don't think that's appropriate to bring that up now. I think the markets are moving so quickly that even in fact, if we want to use the word recession, we're already through part of the recession. Or, you know, Jamie Dimon was talking about, will it be a soft landing? Will it be a hard landing? Like, well, there's someone we need to be listening to, right? But I would say that we are going through a change in this market and and it's, and it's not feeling great because people aren't used to seeing the behaviors that we're seeing. And the good news is with everything, I'm very optimistic that when we have these events, that's what makes the financial industry great and professionals that I work with great because we can add value and, and really some clarity to what people are feeling because people are feeling that at home, mom and pops, and all of our institutional clients are feeling it every day, right? We're all paid according to how we perform. And so it's a natural instinct. I think the last thing I would say Bad being bad. Bad news equals bad news. Unemployment rises. Inflation doesn't come down enough. Wages, etc. That, if it becomes bad, becomes bad, meaning the bad news turns bad news in the markets, then we're going to have a rougher road. I don't see that coming. I was going to ask you, I mean, listen, you're not a strategist. I know you're not a technical analyst. But you and I have done a bunch of these and you've always been pretty right on in terms of the way you look at the market and what you expect. So sounds to me like you're heading into 2023 still pretty, pretty defensive. One thing I don't love is the composition of what makes these markets trade. Single stock options, short-term dated, ETFs, the volume is 41%, 42% a day. It used to be 20s in the 20s. Why is that? That's used by those quant funds. That's used by equity funds that need some exposure. That's used by uh, instruments for hedging. So between FX, single stock options, ETFs, I'd like to see that clean up a little bit because these single stock option, that business is very levered. And that's what you're seeing some headlines recently that there's a huge leverage play there and it could be very dangerous for the market. But look, overall, I, I'd say whether I'm right or not doesn't matter. I would say we are resilient. 
I think we're going to have a really choppy first half of the year. I hope that we can get the capital markets and liquidity markets back in shape where people feel comfortable. And I think that we will bounce in the second half. So I would say we're going to be up 5 to 7% on the S&P next year. I just, I've, I'm more optimistic that we're going to digest all this. It's going to be very uncomfortable though for the first six months. Well, it will, but I got you to give me a projection. So that's just a victory. Listen, it's always such a pleasure. And the factors that you talked about here today are certainly going to be still with us in early 2023, but thank you for organizing it and articulating it so clearly the way you always do. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Likewise, Jane. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode. And remember to subscribe today. Join our community and expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future. 